Well, thank you, Pastor Steve. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Campbell River Baptist Church. For those who are here, for those online, if you don't know me, my name is Ryan Davis. I've been on staff here at the church for a number of years, I think coming up on five years here now. And like Steve said, I look after the youth ministry and I, I take care of our outreach team that serve, or teams, I should say, that serve down at the Hama'ela Kitchen downtown. And most weeks, you'll probably see me on stage either doing announcements or praying and reading scripture, but it has been a long time since I've had the privilege of coming up and actually leading us as we dive into God's word together. So I am excited to be here with you guys this morning. Now, over the last seven weeks, we have been going through our series, uh, Grow the Abiding Life of a Disciple. And today, Pastor Steve asked me to continue that conversation as we look at uh, how sharing the gospel can be an integral and important part of our growth as disciples. So that statement, sharing the gospel, depending on where you're at and how long you have been part of the proverbial church, that statement's going to hit different. It's going to bring back different memories. For some people, it might be things like evangelism explosion or the navigators. Other people, it might be things like crusaders for Christ or handing out Bible tracts. Or maybe if you are a younger Christian, maybe somebody who hasn't been in church as long, that thought, sharing the gospel, is going to be super intimidating. The thought of actually having to have answers to potential questions, maybe um, actually having to share with other people, talking to other people is going to be intimidating. And maybe you're one of those people who think, I'm going to leave that to somebody who's more experienced, somebody who's been walking with the Lord for a longer time. When it comes to sharing our faith, I think something that's a common denominator is that many of us have anxieties about what that looks like, how to do that well. The idea that we need to talk to somebody or that we should talk to somebody about what we believe, what our faith is, can be a very nerve-wracking experience. And I think most of us would also agree and see that sharing the gospel is an important thing that we should do. It's something that we are called to do, but usually fear keeps us from stepping forward into that. Now, over the last couple of years, I've heard a lot of different uh, responses to this idea of sharing our faith. I've heard people say stuff like, what if I don't have all the answers? Or I'm afraid that if I talk to somebody about my faith, I'm going to break the relationship that I've built. Things like, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know what to say. Or I don't like imposing my beliefs on other people. Or I'm afraid that I'll fail. So we're going to start this morning by asking the question, are we even qualified to share? So when we look at what fuels our faith, or what fuels, sorry, our fear of sharing the gospel, it often comes down to the fact that we have a hard time believing that we individually are qualified to share with somebody. We are often quick to disqualify ourselves from being used by God because we feel like we don't have a strong enough handle or grip on scripture, because we are afraid of public speaking or approaching people, or because of any one of a hundred reasons that I'm sure we could list off this morning. Each one of us are going to wrestle with this differently. So with that in mind, we are going to look at our kind of main verse for today. Pastor Steve read it, but we're going to dive into it again here. So Matthew 5, 13 to 16 says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
You are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and hide it under a basket on a stand, or put, put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good work and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So when we read this verse, Jesus is saying that as salt of the earth and light of the world, how we live and what we do is supposed to impact people around us. It should somehow draw those who are far from God near to Jesus. Jesus is calling all of creation home, and he's offering us the ability to be part of delivering that invitation. And as incredible as what Jesus is saying here is, to who he's saying it to is just as remarkable. And so this passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's one of probably the most well-documented and influential sermons that Jesus ever preached. And at the beginning of the sermon, at the beginning of the chapter, we're told that Jesus is surrounded by a huge crowd of people. But this passage that we just read is directed to his disciples, to the 12 that were following him. So in order for us to explore just how impactful what Jesus is saying is, let's take a moment and remind ourselves who the disciples were. Many of us are familiar with them. Um, a few weeks ago, Brian Down was teaching us a little bit about the culture and context of Jesus's day, what it meant to be a disciple. Disciples were people who would lay aside everything in their life to follow a rabbi or a teacher that they believed was wise and just, a good, strong teacher. They would try to do everything that their teacher did. They would dress like their rabbi. They would eat like their rabbi. They would speak like their rabbi. Disciples learned to pattern their lives in a way that tried to emulate everything their rabbi did so that they could be as similar as possible. Now, Jesus' first disciples, they weren't a very impressive group. If you actually look at who those first 12 were, most of them were illiterate, they were uneducated, they were fishermen, which means that they had actually discontinued rabbinic school, and some of them were much worse than that. They were tax collectors. So... They were by no means the cream of the crop or the best of the best. They weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. They continually, as we read their experiences, struggled to understand what Jesus was teaching, and they struggled to know how to respond in their culture and context to that. A great example of this we can find is in Matthew 15. Jesus just finished telling the disciples this parable about the kingdom of heaven and what was coming, and the disciples are struggling. They don't really understand what he's saying. And so Peter, I love Peter. He was great. He often stuck his foot in his mouth. He speaks up for the rest of the group. In Matthew chapter 15, 15 to 17, it says, But Peter said to him, Jesus, explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see? Now, these guys had already by this point been following Jesus for a long time, for years. And Jesus is saying, Do you still struggle with this. See, on a regular basis, the, the disciples struggled to understand what Jesus was showing them. If we read uh, Mark chapter 9, Jesus has pulled the disciples away, and he's telling them about his impending crucifixion. He's telling them that he is going to die, that he's going to be resurrected, and he's trying to prepare them for this extremely difficult time that they're about to face. But he's letting them know that no matter what happens, God is in control and has a plan. And the entire time that Jesus shares this 
earth-shattering, remarkable news, the disciples are busy arguing about who's the greatest, who's going to get the seat of honor next to Jesus. They're missing what he's saying. The disciples were impulsive, they were self-centered, and they continually missed what Jesus was teaching them. The good news for us is that these are the kind of people that Jesus called. These are the kind of people that Jesus chose to use to change the world. The early disciples went on to do unimaginably more than they could ever ask or think. And just like Jesus' early disciples, Jesus is saying to us that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Just like his first disciples, Jesus is saying that we are the ones that God is calling to impact our world here today. He's calling us to be the salt of the earth and the light to our world, to our generations. There's not really a plan B for how he wants to do that. So salt and light. So first we're going to quickly look at salt. So Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. Back in Jesus' day, the Romans believed that other than the sun, salt was the most valuable and pure thing that there was. Romans were actually paid in salt, which is where we get the phrase, he's not worth his salt. Salt was also uh, a mark of friendship. When two people shared salt, they were bound to look after each other's estates and welfare. Even if they were previously enemies, if they shared salt, they were bound together. And salt was also used to bind covenants between parties. It was a form of notarization that was used. Parties would eat salt in the presence of witnesses to confirm their covenant. And if we read 2 Chronicles 13 to 15, or 13, 5, sorry, we can see that the Lord actually sealed covenants with salt as well. This is what it says, 2 Chronicles 13, 5. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? So when Christ called his disciples the salt of the earth, many of these aspects would have come to mind. Salt was extremely valuable. It was an integral part of their culture of their community and it was integral to shaping the world around them so when jesus is telling them you are the salt of the earth he is reminding them that they are integral to shaping the world that they knew jesus goes on to say you are the light of the world a city set on a hill as we read this we need to recognize that we are strategically and intentionally placed to be a light in our world a more literal translation of the Greek in that passage is a city that is placed on a hill or a city that is appointed for a hill. There is implied intentionality in what is used here for wording. It's not a city that just happens to find itself miraculously on a hill by happenstance or accidents, but rather there's a city that is placed there on purpose for purpose. In the Middle East in Jesus' day, cities and towns were built on hilltops, and quite often they were built out of white limestone. This was actually done intentionally so that as people were in the wilderness, as they were moving from city to city, they could actually spot a city from far away and be able to find their way in with ease. So when we look at Matthew chapter 5, 14, Jesus is saying to his followers and to you and I here today that we are strategically and intentionally placed in people's lives so that they can see us, so that they can find their way back home to Christ. God has placed us in a strategic point so that we can actually be a part of helping lead people home to Jesus. That being said, I think 
for myself and for many of us, we probably need to be a little bit better about recognizing the intentional and strategic place that God has set for us. Some of us are in the habit that we spend all of our time with other Christians, with other believers. But if we're going to grow as a disciple of Jesus, if we want to see the abiding life of a disciple flourish in our lives, then we need to be intentional about patterning ourselves after Christ. We need to walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, and act like Jesus. And that means that we actually need to go outside of just spending time with Christians, and we need to be alongside people who don't know God. So that means that we need to actually walk the talk. So in Matthew chapter 5, 16, Jesus goes on to say, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, one of the ways that we can share the gospel is to actually show people around us what it looks like in action in our lives. So not to take anything for granted, what is the gospel? If you've been around church, if you have a good grasp on your Christianese, then that's great. If not, then no worries. The word gospel is a very simple word, and it means good news. So that means that the simple condensed point of sharing the gospel is what? It's sharing the good news about Jesus. That Jesus, God made flesh, came to pay the price for our sin, the price that we could never pay to reconcile us before God the Father and to be our righteousness so that one day we can go to heaven and we can be united with Christ forever. Amen? Amen. Small but quiet. I like it. So, kind of brings a point. Is there anybody here who is on the edge of their seat as I read that riveting piece of information? Maybe. Odds are probably not. I think most of us have been around kind of the church long enough that when we hear statements like that in one form or another, they kind of fall a bit flat. They're a little bit stale after time. So is that because the good news of Christ isn't as good anymore? Or maybe somewhere along the way, do we stop seeing the gospel as something that's meant to affect our life daily? See, in order for us to move forward this morning to continue looking at how sharing the gospel is related to discipleship, we need to look closely at how we are letting the gospel affect our lives daily. Are we allowing the good news of the love of Christ, his life-changing love, to actually penetrate our hearts and our lives so that it has an effect daily? Are we talking about it when it does? Do we share that with people when Christ is moving in our lives? See, if we want to see people around us get excited about who Jesus is and what he does, then we need to get excited about letting Christ just go to town on our lives and our hearts. We need to let him make changes. We need to stop being so concerned about just sharing the eternity piece. And rather, we need to actually begin to let Jesus transform our past, our present, and our future. Because God calls us a city on a hill, a lamp that's on a stand and brings light to all. Sharing the gospel needs to be so much more than just what happens after we pass from life to death. Now, it is true that Christ came, that he paid the price, that sin has been defeated, and we will spend eternity with Christ. It's 100% true. I'm not trying to take away from that. But if I held up an all-expense-paid, full-access pass to Disneyland, if I said, this is yours, 
All you have to do is take it. I even have your name on it. I've paid for it all. It's done. It's free of charge. You can take it. You just have to come up and take it. I think some of you would probably say yes to it. Steve's running up for it, right? But as I hand you the ticket, I tell you that Disneyland. Disneyland is more amazing than anything you could imagine. I mean, it is, it's unbelievable. It is unimaginable. It is stupendous at Disneyland, right? When you get there, literally everybody smiles all day long. There's no sadness. Everybody's happy. And I have my free ticket. I'm going to be there, so I'll probably see you. But if I give you the ticket and I tell you that it's not really good for today, in fact, it's a free travel pass, but I don't really know when you're going to go, I can just promise you that I know for sure one day Disneyland is going to call, and when they call, your ticket is good. It's stamped. It kind of like kills the mood a little bit. It takes the oomph out of it. You still might say yes. Maybe you hold on to the ticket. Maybe you tuck it away somewhere safe. Every once in a while, you attend a Disney members meeting, or you hear a Disney song, or see a Disney picture, right? Maybe you remember how exciting it was the day you got your trip to Disneyland. Maybe even now that you have a ticket, you tell a few other people, hey, you could go to Disneyland too. I think it's obvious that comparing a trip to Disneyland to our eternity spent in heaven is a poor metaphor. But also sometimes that's kind of how we handle the gospel. We treat it like we're offering people some all-expense, free trip to some amazing place on some potentially far-off date. But it doesn't really hold impact or value today. But the good news of Christ, the gospel, needs to be so much more than that in our lives. This whole series that we're going through, The Abiding Life of Christ, is about transforming our lives. It's about letting Christ move us from the ordinary into the extraordinary. It's about laying down things like our idols and our perceived notions of what our lives are meant to look like and choosing instead to say that Christ's way is better for our life. And while it's true that when we give our hearts and our lives to Jesus, our eternity is paid for, that is secure. It's also true that when we give our heart and our life to Christ, he is calling us to something. He's calling us to be salt and light in our world, and he's calling us to allow him to work in our lives here and today and every day. So sharing is caring. When we look at things, or we have rather looked at things this morning that maybe stand in the way of sharing, and the importance of letting the good news go from just eternity into our hearts right now, that it needs to be personal and affecting our life daily. So now let's take a look at how we can verbally communicate the gospel. Now there's an old adage that comes from uh, somebody named St. Francis Assisi, or it's often attributed to him, that says, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. I think this idea has a lot of merit. I think preaching the gospel of Christ with our actions, with our life, is important. But I also think that a statement like that is not a completely adequate representation of how we are biblically called to share the gospel. There's a retired president named Dwayne Lifton of Wheaton College, and he recently addressed this idea in a really important article. And with regards to preaching the gospel, this is what he says. He says, it's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal, and preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. If we look at Acts chapter 8, verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He spoke the gospel. He shared the gospel verbally. 
Even in the Old Testament, Psalms 96.3 says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous work among all people. It is verbal. It is meant to be loud. As we consider how we communicate the gospel, it's important that we do learn how to use our words. And one of the ways that we can do that is by learning how to share our stories. We've talked about it as a staff. We've, we've come up here and said, you know, share stories with us of how God is working in your life, what God is doing in your life. Sharing stories is important. Some of us have even taken the time probably to write out our life story, but many of us have maybe never taken that opportunity to actually write down your faith story, what Jesus has done, what he means to you, and what you see him doing in your life each day. The Apostle Paul did this. We can actually see it in Acts 26. In Acts 26, Paul finds himself before King Agrippa, and Paul shares about his early life. He talks about his conversion on the road to Damascus, and then he shares how from that day forward, Christ has been at work in his life every day. When we read Acts 26, we can actually read Paul's testimony. Now, I don't want to throw Christianese words out. I don't like doing that. So in case you've never heard that word, a testimony is it's basically just your story of how you are being changed because Jesus Christ is at work in your life. It takes a lot of different forms, but that's the basic form of a testimony. And if we are going to effectively share the good news of Jesus, the hope of the gospel, then we need to practice sharing our story. We need to practice sharing more than just the eternal destination aspect of the gospel. We need to practice sharing more than just how we saw Christ work in our life five years ago or 15 years ago or 50 years ago. We actually need to share how we see the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives and working in our lives each day. And by extension, that actually means that we critically need to be in the habit of reflecting on how good that news is for us each day. We need to remember the impact and look for the impact Christ is making in our life each day. Now, you don't have to have some dramatic conversion story. This one, this one gets me because the amount of times I've heard people say that, you know, I was raised in a faith-based family and therefore I, I can't share my testimony because it would be boring. It's, it's crazy to think like that because what's important is not what Christ did 10 years ago or 15 years ago. What's important is that we share what God is doing in our life right now. Because what draws people in, what's going to get people curious about Jesus, isn't what we've been through in our past. It's what we're modeling right now. It's how we live our life right now and interact with people. So this morning when I started off, I talked about some reasons why maybe we are scared or anxious to share the gospel. So I figured as we kind of move towards the end, let's look at some reasons to not fear sharing the gospel. So here are seven quick reasons to not fear sharing your faith. So number one is that it's by the power of God that we are saved or that people are saved. Romans chapter 1 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation to everybody who believes. See, knowing that people are saved only through the power of God and not by my own efforts and my own abilities takes the pressure off. Because when people don't respond the way that I want them to respond, it, it doesn't matter. It's not on me to save somebody. That's God's job. Number two, when you share your faith, 
you actually gain a deeper personal understanding of the love of Christ. In Philemon 6, the Apostle Paul writes, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. When we share the gospel with other people, when we talk about our God stories, we are reminded of how awesome God is and the work that he's doing in our lives, and it deepens our own personal love and understanding of Christ. Number three, even Jesus was rejected. When we fear rejection, even Jesus was rejected. The story of Jesus and the rich young ruler that we find in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 30, we're not going to read the whole thing, but it gives us a great picture of this. Because a rich young man approaches Jesus and he is interested in knowing the way to heaven. He is interested in eternity. But after Jesus tells him the cost of discipleship, that it's not just about eternity, it's also about right now, we're told that the young man goes away sorrowful. Jesus was rejected when he shared the gospel. Number four, when we are rejected, not if, but when we are rejected, we are actually promised rewards in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, 11 and 12 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So there's a, a gentleman named Mark Cahill. He's an author, speaker, evangelist. And he says that there are three potential outcomes when we share the gospel. The first one is that we share the gospel and a person comes to Christ. That's a win. The second one is that they seem interested, they hear you out, but they don't come to Christ. That means that you have now planted a seed that God could use and water and grow at a later point. That's a win. And the third one is that you get rejected and you get heavenly rewards. That's also a win. So there is not a lose in this. It's a win, win, win situation when we share the gospel. Number five, the Holy Spirit will give you words. So when we fear that we don't even know where to start, we don't know what to say, we can read in Luke chapter 12, verse 11 to 12, what Jesus has to say about this. This is what he says. He says, when they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit will give you words. Number six, our job is just to plant seeds and to water the soil, and then we let God take care of the rest. Just like how a gardener can't plant a seed and then force it to sprout forth in its time, we cannot share the gospel and then force somebody to respond to Christ merely by our own will and our timeline. God is the one who gives life, both spiritually and physically, and therefore we get the opportunity to plant the seed by sharing the gospel, and we get the opportunity to water the soil by encouraging people that we know to go deeper in their relationship with Jesus. But ultimately, anything beyond that, that one we have to leave to God again. And number seven is that God will go with you. After Jesus gave the great commission to go and make disciples, he didn't leave his disciples alone. Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, Christ promises to always be with us. Now, not only is God on our side, but we're actually the ones that God is wanting to use 
to impact our community, to impact our world, and to draw those who are far from him back home. He's calling us a light of the world, a city set on a hill. I can understand that it is really intimidating to share the gospel. I have definitely felt that before myself. And if it depended solely on us, on our amazing abilities and outstanding talents and our gifts, we would fail. It's guaranteed. We would definitely fail if it depended on us only. Thank the Lord it doesn't, right? We serve a God who is Emmanuel, God with us. We don't go into this alone. As we step into the Great Commission, as we step into the call that Jesus has given to go and as we go to make disciples, let's remember that our role is just to partner with God what he's already doing. I believe that there is a longing for the gospel in the heart of every person. And our job is never to force faith down their throat, but instead our God is to come al- our, our God, our goal, rather, our job is to come alongside them and to share our stories, to share how we found meaning in Christ, to share how we are seeing Christ work in our life, to plant those seeds and then let Christ do the rest. And as a final thought, as we talk to people, as we share the gospel, as we go out and step into this, let's invite people in. Every person has a longing to be a part of something and to connect with other people in a real and meaningful way. We have the opportunity to create places where people can actually belong as they work towards belief. So not only does that mean that we can invite people to come in on a Sunday morning and come worship with us here, but it actually means that we get to use all of the tools at our disposal. Things like maybe our online services, our small groups, maybe inviting somebody into your home for dinner, Let's see those things as powerful connecting tools that we have to bring people who don't know Jesus into the life of church community, into the community that Christ wants to create. And remember that as we do that, as we bring people in, sharing the good news always gets a little bit easier when we learn how to stand together and how to share together. So let's pray, and then I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as I do. So Jesus, Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. Father, I want to thank you for your good news. Father, I I thank you for not just ensuring our eternity, not just that side of things, Lord, but you, you paid the price for us so that you can ensure eternity and, Lord, so that you can take our lives and shape them into something that's going to draw people in. Father, I pray that as we go out from here, as we look at how we move into this week ahead of us, Father, that you would give us the opportunity to see where you have intentionally placed us, to look for those moments, those places that we can respond and share. Father, I pray that as we step out in faith and as we face anxieties and difficulties with talking to people about what we believe, Lord, that you would give us words, that you would go before us. And Lord, I pray that I pray that you would take this community here at Campbell River Baptist Church, Lord, and you would use them in a mighty way to shape this community of Campbell River, to shape this world around us. So, Father, I pray for each person here that you would go before us. In your name we pray. Amen.